0: Constructive Voices, the podcast for the construction people, with news, views and expert interviews.
1: Hi and welcome to Constructive Voices, I'm Steve Randall and as we say goodbye to August, we've got a conversation that combines two of our favourite topics affecting the industry, climate change and technology. Joining us is Gavin Tonne from Utexia, an Australian-based company that aims to change
2: the way we design and build homes. We have the ability now for consumers of homes to be able to come into a cloud-based platform, make changes and personalise it, virtually live in a house long before they, they actually buy it. More from Gavin shortly.
1: And of course, Pete the Builder's here too, with his insights on something that links modern construction with early man.
0: We're excited to announce the first-ever Global Women in Construction virtual event, happening on the 3rd and 4th of November 2021. This will be a quarterly event, along with a LinkedIn group, for you to have ongoing networking opportunities our global guests will be discussing how women globally can collaborate to create sustainable change, especially in light of the IPCC report. Why corporate social responsibility should be at the heart of your business. Construction contracts and collections for women, the backbone of the construction industry. And last, but certainly not least, Project Management 101 and becoming a certified construction project manager. To discover more, go to our website, constructive-voices.com. The Global Women in Construction virtual event is sponsored by Commercial Construction Coffee Talk, Commercial Construction and Renovation Magazine, and Constructive Voices.
1: So, as usual on Constructive Voices, one of the pillars that holds up the construction of this podcast... Peter Finn, our jobbing builder, our man on the ground. He's also a builder on TV. Pete, how are you doing? Steve, how are you? Great to talk to you. Yeah, good. I mean, we're, you know, (laughs) flying through the year, aren't we? Here we are heading towards autumn now and uh, (laughs) you think the winter season's ahead and it's just just going crazy this year, isn't it?
3: It it feels like the last time we we were talking, we were talking about going on holidays and now the holidays seem nearly like a distant memory at this stage and it's coming back to September when normality gets back and kids are back to school and, you know, life kind of settles back down again. Yeah, the year is absolutely flying by. So even though there's pandemics and different things of that still going on in the background, the world waits for no man, Steve. Yeah, Absolutely. Now, we have an interesting juxtaposition. There's the longest
1: word potentially we've used on the podcast so far. Um, because we, we talk a lot about technology. We have a lot of fascinating guests on. and I know we have a, a, a brilliant guest who's going to be talking about something very high tech. Today, but we're also going to be talking about the very basic things of of the construction industry, going back hundreds, thousands of years.
3: The hand tools that we use. Yeah, most people on a building site and most people in construction have a toolkit with them that is in some way mechanically or battery operated, and therefore turns us into construction inspector gadgets for for, for, a, for a, a, a way of putting it. And it allows us to increase productivity. It, it allows us to increase speed, accuracy, all of those type of things, simply by having tools which are now a lot more readily available. Whereas, you know, even when I started my apprenticeship, if a guy came onto a, a site with a battery-operated tool, it was like, ooh, look at this guy. What, what has he got, you know? And uh, like obviously telephones and... And that type of stuff, mobile phones have have been introduced. And look, me and you have spoken so many times about the the technological revolution that has happened in construction. And we've got so many amazing programs and so many computer adapted tools and and, and programs and systems that increase so many different uh, elements of the management um, side of construction. But you know what? Something very similar has been happening in the handheld tools for tradesmen and for construction professionals like engineers and architects, you know, pretty much throughout the whole spectrum, including right down to like iPads, you would often see a project manager walking around with an iPad in his hand. As he's talking to you, he's sneakily taking a photograph over your shoulder as well, which you, you have to watch out for that, guys. You have to watch out for that. These type of, of revolutions in, in construction have happened very, very quickly, like in the last 15 to 20 years in particular. And, and then again, even in the last 10 years, they've increased so quickly and in, in a positive way as well, Steve, you know, so um, it basically has has taken us from the stone age right up into the current age where we're, we're now able to rely and able to trust our tools for accuracy. We're able to trust them for speed. We're able to know that you can approach a job knowing that you've got the tools in your kit that are actually capable of doing the job in a fast, efficient, clean, and in a correct way, structurally, you're making sure you're getting proper connections and in terms of the ability and the strength of the tools it's it's not that old school thing of having to keep on going back and charging the battery ten times a day. That day is kind of gone now. For somebody like me, a layman
1: looking in, can we just check what's in that toolkit? I'm thinking a hammer's got to still be in there, a drill, a saw, a level, what else?
3: <laughs> There's young lads li- listening to this right now, and they're going, "What are these strange tools these people are talking about?" <laughs> <laughs> <So> <laughs> no. that's what I wanted to get to because I'm thinking, am I am I really out of date with what's in that <laughs> toolkit? You've given away your age straight away, Steve. Um, no, no, look, like, genuinely, there there is absolutely still need for your basic tools. There, there are certain elements of construction, or certain elements of any job that you do, that you can you, you need to still rely on your old school your handheld and hand hand operated and manually operated tools that that are not plugged in are not like you know for example you know sometimes it's, it's much better just to use a simple screwdriver than it will be to use a cordless drill because of the the speed and the accuracy and the torque and the power that you can get in your wrist rather than you know what you're going to have in by pulling a trigger Now again the tools that are out these days are getting closer and closer and closer to, to being nearly pretty much useful for all of those jobs. But you always will need your your basic tools, your sharp chisels. Obviously, electricians are going to need to have all all of their properly insulated uh, screwdrivers and phase testers and the different elements that they use. But there's just no doubt about it. Like in terms of level, actually, that that's that's an interesting one that you mentioned. That yes, you do still see you know the the old bubble between the two lines type level. But these days, like you can just just go to your toolkit and there's a little a little handy little box there. You pop this laser level out. Um, There's a magnet on it and you can go to the corner of any room. You're going to have an angle bead there and you don't even have to scrape the paint or do nothing. The magnet will actually stick to the angle bead and you can press one button and instantly you've got this red laser line that's shooting around the the room. And you can use that as a datum line then for setting out anything that you want. When it comes to concrete pours, digging, it comes to like large and small scale excavations. Within literally minutes, you can set up a portable mobile battery operated laser level or a dumpy level that will give you so much accuracy and the range and the spread and the distance that you can you can be away from that tool and still have absolute accuracy is is frightening in some cases I suppose the, the big thing about it as well is the tools are are more uh, affordable now as well like back in the day you, you, you would have had to be nearly saving up a month's wages to buy a, a certain cordless tool and when you got it it was like buying a new car you're all delighted with and you're going around drilling holes everywhere with your new (laughs) your new drill or whatever it was like these days the price of the tools has come more in line with being able to fully stock yourself up with 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 your tools you know like and, and again it's not just one brand or one make that is doing this like I'm very lucky and my bit of TV persona has has got me a couple of brand ambassadorships, and one of the brand ambassadorships that I've got on the brand ambassador for, for Festool, one of the high end uh, tool makers, and the speed and the accuracy that I've got out of now using the, the, the kit that I had. I had a few uh, Festool tools in my kit and then uh, after becoming a brand ambassador for them i got more and like pretty much every tool that festival create they have an attachment that comes with it so you can check that the depth that you're going to is 100 accurate the sensitivity of the triggers is unbelievable Um, the battery life is excellent and and they have a broad range then you, you go into like all the other makes like dewalt makita and um, milwaukee there's just so many different brands and ranges out there of all different levels Metabo, and they like they have They all have their strengths and their weaknesses. Hiltia are huge. Bosch. There's lots of companies because there's a big range and and there's a a huge market for these tools and they all have their advantages and disadvantages. But in general, you would have to definitely say that overall, the industry has really brought itself forward and they have really made the tools user friendly and they've kind of simplified them. So they're a little bit idiot proof as well so that, you know, they're robust. So, you know, you don't, if you if you drop them, they're not going to instantly fall apart or break. But they're also designed in such a way that the balance within the tools are done so that you can achieve a good torque and and a and a, and a good uh, accuracy even maybe in an in an awkward position. The power is a big thing as well. I kind of mentioned it earlier, but you know the first battery tools that came out, the batteries are either right, so big and heavy that it made the tool a bit difficult to use. Nowadays. There's so much lighter. The balance on the tool is much better. And the power that you get out of the batteries and the the life and the battery life that you get in terms of one charge, you can get like up to 10 to 12 hours of of use in a tool. So all of those things have massively uh, helped. Like So if you were working in the middle of a really difficult area to get, maybe on the the fourth or fifth floor of a a building and there's no power uh, for plug-in tools, you can just literally... Have your trolley with all your tools stacked on top of it, and and wheel it into position. And you can have like your your own little uh, mini tool setup or tool center that you can work off, um, and and have all your tools at hand. Like when we're doing the TV shows, we we usually set up uh, tents out in the back garden or the side or wherever we can get the space. We set up the tents to keep the Irish rain off us, and then we we uh, we have our own little like we basically call it our our mobile workshop. We set up benches. We've got chop saws. We've got all our different tools set up. And we're able to then produce some really high end work based off something that we like based off a, a mobile workshop that we've brought in the back of our van and we've set up it very quickly outside someone's house. You pretty much can can be mobile these days once you've got your batteries charged up. You're good to go, and the kit will will hang off your tool belt. It'll, you can wheel it along on trolleys and all these type of of, of different things that are custom made and set up to make life so much easier. That that's where we're at these days. I learned literally <laughs> when when it was pretty much a wheelbarrow and a rope on a building site. I, I I was there, you know, and and I've seen the evolution happen, and it has taken me a bit of time to come around to it, but I, I have come around to it. But like I know our, our guest Gavin as well, like from UTexture, like he's he's gonna delve into another aspect of, of how these technological advances help and and how they improve your life and, and how they improve your productivity. Because at the end of the day, we all love construction, but why we're here is to make some some money, Steve, and, and if we can do that in a quicker and a, a more efficient way and a more accurate way and deliver a higher grade product, well then you know what, I think it is time to uh, come out of the dark ages and it depends on your age. Anyone who's in their 20s now grew up with a mobile phone on their hands. It is a generational thing. And look, again, don't get me wrong. At this moment in time, there's no tool that will plaster a ceiling for you. But there is. you, you, you still have to take out your trowels and you, your and the same when it comes to blocks. I know we've like laying blocks, it's always going to be trowels and levels and things like that as well. But there there's definitely some elements uh, out there that are, are helping pretty much every trade. So I, I suppose to, to round it up, it's, uh, it's one of those things that uh, – I really feel that I probably was a little bit behind the time a few years back. I had some simple standard tools, but it's the kind of thing that if you don't get on board early, you will get left behind. Nobody likes to be left behind, Steve. We always like to be top of the class and making sure that we come across as, as you know the best professionals and, and, and delivering the best products that we possibly can.
1: Absolutely, Pete. Well, look, stay there. We'll talk again after we've heard our special guest on this episode of Constructive Voices. Gavin Tonne talks to us next.
0: Constructive Voices' media partner in Ireland and the United Kingdom is Construction Industry News. Since 2002, Construction Industry News has been focused on the very latest projects and developments within the UK and Ireland.
1: And so to our special guest on this episode of Constructive Voices, Gavin Tonne is a recognised expert and leader in the property space. He's an expert on urban renewal and he's now turned his attention to Utecture, which is carving out a new category in building technology that uses digitisation, visualisation and data to lower costs for builders and consumers and drive climate impact. Gavin's been talking to Constructive Voices' Henry MacDonald, who asked him first about some of the big projects that he's worked on over the years.
2: I've spent a long career in in urban renewal and, and construction and design. I've developed about $25 billion of developments and major precincts. But look, a couple of those, just to give you some colour. Um... The ones that, you know, have really contributed to a strong social and environmental purpose and started to shift the culture and trajectory of cities are probably the ones that mean the most to me. And they're things like, you know, the Sydney uh, Olympic Games village in Newington that was actually built for the 2000 uh, Olympic Games on land that was largely degraded by 20th century industries, so abattoirs and defence armoury and brickworks and the like. But it was also also the first village developed by private enterprise to accommodate all the athletes, 10,000 athletes, but also uniquely at the time with an end purpose to create a a living, viable city community right in the middle of Sydney City. So it's pretty unique both for its logistics to create the village but also for its pretty significant environmental initiatives and and transition into into a a community, quite a prestigious now community beyond the Games. Um, another one that sort of pops into my mind Walsh bay redevelopment uh, down in sydney right a really pivotal point on the on the shores of of sydney harbor viewable from all the iconic buildings and structures of sydney. Uh, it was a, a renewal of a class one heritage listed wool stores and trading precinct into a cultural and residential precinct and, and some really super renewal of remnant harbor industrial buildings It included, in fact, quite a significant engineering feat. So the world's first removal and rebuild of a finger wharf that uh, sat out in the harbour and included quite an incredible engineering feat of pre-building the basement and sinking it into the harbour bit by bit by bit and then putting the building on top of it. Um, And I think socially, you know, it it was one of a few precincts that I've worked on now that actually links the Opera House Uh, Most of the way around the the western foreshore of Parramatta River here in Sydney, you've got about 20 kilometres now of foreshore access, and it's been made possible by projects like uh, the Walsh Bay redevelopment in Sydney. And another one that sort of jumps to me is a a $500 million renewal of of Perth CityLink in Perth on the western side of Australia, which is a mixed-use overstation development of 60,000 metres of commercial and hotel a new university and residential apartments and, and shopping over the top of the incoming uh, train lines to the centre of, of Perth. So, the, the significance of that is that the incoming train lines actually divided the city into two parts and prevented the growth of Perth to its north. Um, but, you know, quite uniquely to the north of the city, on the other side of the train line is a uh, really inter- interesting arts and cultural precinct, um, a lot of affordable housing. And so, you know, that, that precinct there actually enables the growth of the city, but actually links the um, the really cultural heart of, of what's happening in Perth to the CBD heart. It's Quite a, quite a fascinating development.
4: And in terms of eco sustainability, which would you cite as the most exciting, the most sort of in tune with that theme?
2: Yeah, they've look, all, they've all had some wonderful, wonderful innovation and attributes on the, on the eco side. Um, I think the one that probably, you know, was a game changer and, and encompassed all the parts was the Olympic Village. And just remember this is 25 years ago. So, uh, you know, they, they, these were early days in, the, in our ability to encompass these, these types of issues. But just a few things to talk about there. It was builders as the Green Games and still held out uh, in that regard. There was a remnant of you know, quite wonderful and precious di- biodiversity uh, that were found, in fact, through the development. And the master plan was adapted and to allow those to be preserved and protected um, and grown and interpreted. Um, it is, It was, and I think still is, the largest solar powered suburb in the world. Um, and so every house has the capacity to create its own energy plus some. And the suburb is, is a, a net positive producer of energy. So it, it uh, that is, it, it produces enough energy for itself, plus puts energy back in the grid. Uh, every one of those streets was specifically designed so that, so that every one of those lots could be specifically designed so that every one of those houses is specifically designed for passive energy. So they're all built and designed to allow the maximum amount of sunlight into the into the house and into the yards. It's a fully integrated design master plan. It was um, not, not, not so much globally unique, but within Australia, it was the first suburb to adopt wide use of dual water supply. All the grey water was actually collected and, and separated and twice filtered and directed into natural wetlands and then reused into a grey water system for toilets and, and uh, laundry washing. And you know, I think what was really impactful is that there were positive obligations on all the suppliers, all the material suppliers in providing materials into the Olympic Village. And so, so there's some really great world first innovations. For example, low gas paint was developed specifically for the Olympic Village as one of those initiatives. And it's now used worldwide, of course. In fact, in most places, you cannot use anything but low gas paint. Yeah, you know, wonderful, wonderful attribute. When you've got the will, and you've got the regulators and private industry, and and a purpose, uh, all triangulated, you can achieve some incredible outcomes.
4: Do Do you think that? I mean, you kind of answered my in a way, or led up to my next question. These projects weren't then Australia specific. These are examples that could be rolled out across the planet different climates, different conditions? Was that the case with the Olympic Village, for example?
2: Look, well, I think, look, in part, yes, that's right. But I, I think solutions solutions are always going to be tailored to geography. You know, they have to be. Um, so the house that works in Australia won't work in Japan and it won't work in, in Europe, and the house that works in Germany is not going to work in, in um, South America. So, you know, they always have to be tailored. But the concepts themselves are really portable construction accounts for 40% of the global gdp and the um the carbon footprint of of that is monstrous so this but what 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 i've seen and what happens is that the solutions come from having lifting across yeah you know, six or seven key categories and if you think about it in those categories and you actually tick yeah, 70, 80% solution in each one of them. Then you absolutely can do this anywhere in the world. And so there are things, for example, like design and procurement efficiency. It's and the you know, the control over the over, over the design process itself. It's it's about passive design and and material selections. It's about driving and allowing manufacturing to be innovative. Um, Water and energy, particularly water in Australia and other parts of the world is a big issue. It's not so much an issue in in some parts of the world, but energy globally is a big one. Um, Social infrastructure and community health waste, you know, like 30% of all the materials produced for construction is cut off and it's either burnt um, or buried and sent back into the atmosphere. So we're digging carbon out of the ground and we're wasting 30% of it. And then, you know, the last one is just the end of life. So how do we disassemble our buildings? Can they be reused? Can they be repurposed in a different way? And so if you look at those sort of seven or eight categories, yes, the concepts are incredibly portable and it's the same around the world.
4: Right, good. Can I talk to you now on the issue of virtual pre-construction? How does this enable urban renewal projects?
2: Yeah, so look, we've, we've developed a... A, a platform called utexture which um, is in the first in the world in the virtual pre-construction space. And, and the way it, uh, it's its really aiming initially at, at home building, but the way virtual pre-construction enables urban renewal, mm-hmm. it's the first time that we can use technology and all the power that it brings to bear mm-hmm. to simulate the impact on a number of those categories. And, and so, for example, if I just... Think, if you just think about those categories I've, I've talked about. Design and procurement, so the ability to actually simulate and virtually try a building long before we have to commit to building it, and you use AI to optimise it. So that means we can actually have a look at a home. We can uh, select a few styles. We can try some options. We can check whether our furniture fits. We can have that priced in real time. We can connect carbon attributes to every item in that home. We can see how it's going to perform and we can understand that. Manufacturing innovation, you know, we when, once you create a digital twin and which, which sits at the heart of the virtual pre-construction, we can pull the attributes of every single product into that model. Uh, and so whether it's double-glazed uh, windows or it's the insulation qualities or price, you know, we can understand how that whole uh, model is going to perform. And waste optimization. So for the very first, once you've got digital twin technology, for the very first time, you can start to lay out and optimize the way sheets are cut, the way tiles are used, the the amount of waste that's created in doing that, and look at using AI to optimize the the layout of those sheets. Yeah, what we'll see in, in short succession is that the bigger parts of the industry who are suppliers and installers will have a price advantage by using cutting layouts and installing in certain ways and the rest of the industry must follow it. and so suddenly we can move the dial so we're, we're the industry we've we've been reasonably good at reducing uh, or recycling we've been really bad at reducing waste um, and so you know even if you you've got 30 percent of material being wasted we can make a 20 30 40 50 percent impact. On that, we can make a huge difference to the uh, carbon footprint of construction. This is where virtual <laughs> pre-construction changes uh, the business of building uh, urban renewal.
4: And in terms of that business and you texture, as you call it, boil it down to basics. I'm a punter. I want to go and buy a house. Can I go to you and say... Show me everything through this new system.
2: So the short answer is, yes, so, I mean, we, what we've seen at the moment is huge demand for uh, u-texture from builders and, and material suppliers. You know, what it's really doing is just driving efficiency. So for builders, they can uh, reduce the time that it takes and the risk that it takes of actually showing a consumer you know, their home, personalising that home, showing them how it's going to look, having that price, checking where the furniture fits, trying a few options, um, looking at the thermal performance and energy performance of that home, checking the carbon footprint. That's where builders see value. Material suppliers are able to um, create a digital twin in about 35 minutes and create a full bill of materials for that house and quote the house. That's where we're seeing huge demand. For consumers, absolutely. This is transforming the experience of approaching builders, You know, building trust, earning trust looking at your house options, trying a few different ideas and having transparency of information. So being able to see, you know, the things that make up that house, even the engineering if you want to. Uh, and uh, and certainly the cost, of course, which is a really important element of it. You know, what, what all that's doing is ultimately pulling cost and efficiency out of this or inefficiency out of the system, which goes to affordability. In terms of
4: actual house buyers. Has this happened in your business? Have people accessed it to say, let me look at this project, let me look at this potential build?
2: Yeah, so we're loading up builders uh, using this system now. Uh, It's a new platform. It was developed over about five years, but it was released uh, early this year to builders and suppliers. And the first uh, of those have been onboarded and starting to use the system for exactly that purpose.
4: Do you think the potential purchaser the ultimate person that puts the dollars down puts the pounds down uh should have the right to consult on this kind of pre-construction kind of concept and see how it's going to map out
2: yeah we think so so you know I, mean, I think we all are uh, entitled to to understand uh, what we're paying for and and how it's going to look I mean i I think in the urban renewal space we absolutely should have the ability to Preconceive a larger building as well, and to understand what the most efficient way of constructing that is, to understand how the building is going to perform, and um, yeah, that, that's essentially what, where we get to. So we've been able to, in other industries, simulate performance of, of buildings uh, way before they're actually built. You think about race, Formula One race cars, or even even rocket ships and the trip to the moon. So you know, in 1969, we were able to engineers were able to in detail simulate the last 13 seconds of the the moon landing and the consequences of not getting that right were pretty severe people were going to die now that's not the case in construction but we have the ability now for consumers of homes to be able to come into a cloud-based platform to pick a home that suits their broad needs to filter down and, and and make that a narrow selection and to be able to interact with that home and uh, make changes and personalize it and check that it uh, virtually live in a house long before they, uh, they, they actually buy it.
4: Now, you know better than I that builders are pretty hard headed people. You know, it's all about the bottom line. <laughs> Are they embracing this concept in Australia w- w- among the people you're working with?
2: Yeah, they, are. They, they absolutely are. I think what's happened with construction over a long period of time is that the whole process has become harder and more complex. There are more and more uh, hands involved. Um, there are more and more rules and regulations, and you know, I'm not criticising any of that. Um, but it's created uh, progressively more defined areas of expertise and specialisation Yeah, software solutions fairly logically have have largely followed those expertises. So there's a lot of software around in the construction industry, but it largely solves the problem of one stream of expertise. So whether you're an architect that needs a good drawing package that does some BIM capability, whether you're an engineer that needs to reasonably quickly analyse and assess structures, whether you're a quantity surveyor who needs to be able to you know, store a database of pricing and product. It's all it's all separate. And so, you know, we, some of our early customers are using up to 80 pieces of software to build a single house. So we just consolidate all that. And um, they absolutely, desperately need this. And they've, uh, we've had no one actually say to us that this is, uh, you yeah, not a system that they want to use.
4: Is UTAC sure even more relevant now that Australia is trying to emerge from the COVID crisis?
2: Yeah, definitely. Look, I think globally we're rapidly re-exploring the role of the home and the workplace and our health infrastructure and, frankly, our expectations of technology. And this is still to play out. But um, what I'm pretty sure about is that there won't be a consistent definition of what a head office looks like or where it should be whether it needs to be C B D located. Uh, and there'll be, you know, there'll also be huge diversity in, in work-life preferences in our workforce and, and our teams, and even larger diversity in what we need from the homes. And so similarly, I think it's probably pretty it is impossible to paint a picture of the perfect house uh, because it means so much more to different people, even people in the same demographic. So personalization and choice and flexibility is becoming yeah, you know, far more prevalent and, uh, than it previously was. So Utexture allows people to virtually live in the home and to ask the sort of human questions that we've we've been talking about. You know, what's the cost? Does it fit? Can I work from home? What if my kids need to homeschool? What if two or three of us are actually working from home? How does it perform? How will it look? What are my running costs now because I'm there more? Uh, is it going to be comfortable all, all the time, all year round? Does it comply with city regulations? Um, now, these these are decisions that previously were only available to experts in the building chain, architects, regulators, sometimes builders, engineers and, and environmental specialists. So we you now get all of that uh, information available in the Utexture platform for you to think about as you're making decisions about your house.
4: Uh, and presumably that U-texture also relates to a world in which there are going to be a lot of empty building spaces about will U-texture be able to play a part in reimagining cities?
2: Yeah, we think so. What the industry needs at the moment is is agility. And I you know I take that right through the chain from regulators and planners right down to people who put board onto frames. Um, It needs agility because we are having to reinvent parts of our Parts of our world, you know, parts of our cities and 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 where we live and how we live. I think that we have to get the, the the residential infrastructure right first. And when we've got that right, and people have found this new normal, and I'm talking, I'm not just talking about people who work. I'm talking about older people, affordable housing, people with uh, young children, and and young people who are yet to partner. Yeah, you got to get that right. And when we've got that right. We can look at bigger buildings and then precincts as, as well, of course. So it um yeah, it absolutely what we we just going back to the agility point, that's that's where the industry can start to reimagine a lot more quickly. This is where virtual pre-construction fits.
4: And in terms of you texture and, and, and the concept you you you're pioneering, apart from Australia or any other parts of the world that are expressing interest in it, do you hope to rule this out globally?
2: Yeah, look, we, we absolutely are in conversations at the moment. We've been using the Australia and New Zealand as a great little test bed for, for the product. It's going incredibly well. Uh, we're starting now to uh, roll out our strategy in the US uh, and the UK. And um, we are very well connected into uh, Japan as well, a very big market for home building. So and also highly, you know, it's a it's a great little place in terms of technology and adoption uh, to stand up ourselves. So yep, that's that's where we will go. But essentially, the issue of housing people and the impact of the pandemic and sustainability is a global one.
4: I'm actually going out next week to buy a property in Spain. Right, if I wanted to use U Texture to look at a new build, for instance, on a plot of land. How easy is it for me, the ordinary punter, to envisage what this property would look like via texture?
2: Yeah, it's really easy. So you, um, you know, you'll you be able to identify builders who have access to texture, and you'll be able to sit down with one of those builders and uh, to take from them um, the, the designs that you, you like to go home on a Tuesday night um, in, an, in a cloud-based environment to sit down when the kids are in bed and and make changes to that house to have it priced in real time. And you can iterate backwards and forwards with the builder uh, on, on, on those various options. Uh, and it's a very, very simple interface. So we've we put the interface in front of uh, people like you and I, Henry, who uh, are thinking of building a home and allowed them to use it. It's the sort of interface that you we all get now with every platform that we use, drag and drop, drop technology, drop-down menus, simple icons, really simple to use. Uh, and, yeah, you know, the work's been done in behind that. So the engineering and the dragging of all the parts, the waste efficiencies, uh, the energy calculations, the embedded carbon calculations, all that's been done in the background and giving you a really simple dashboard uh, of the outcomes of that.
4: If our listeners around the world wanted to have a look at Texture, Can they access it? Can they look at anything?
2: The person who wants the home, the consumer of the home, could absolutely see the U Texture platform on their computer. And they can do that in their own time at home. We run a series of webinars uh, as well, which will allow people to join in and, and see exactly how the platform works and how you can pick and choose windows and ceilings and insulation and try different options, change the design, and look at the price in real time. Which
4: website should they access?
2: People can can either come through our website, uh, utexture.com, or, of course, uh, we also are on LinkedIn. And if you follow us on LinkedIn, you'll be able to connect into any of our webinars that happen periodically. And uh, we'd love to hear from you, of course. And we'd love to see you on one of our webinars.
4: What are the numbers like? I mean, what are we talking about in terms of interaction, people using this this, this particular uh, system?
2: Yeah, so we're, we're dealing at the moment, we're dealing with um, more than half of the top builders in uh, Australia and New Zealand. We've also onboarded uh, or onboarding the, the largest material suppliers in, in New Zealand and Australia. So, you know, I think that between them, we they would access or have access to ooh, about a third of all the consumers of house building in uh in Australia. And uh, you know, we're expecting to see that sort of volume of activity running through the platform in the uh in the in the very near future.
4: That's a huge market, yeah.
2: It's a big market. And uh you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of unsatisfied demand out there. And and I think we're all human, we all want to know when we're whether we're renovating our bathroom or we're actually building a new house, uh, what it's gonna look like and how much it's gonna cost. Uh, They're very simple questions, but hard to get answers to. And, you know, the builders take all that risk. The builders are the ones who are trying to assemble the information, usually at their cost, and largely at their cost and risk, to be able to uh, provide that information back to the consumer. And uh, the virtual pre-construction environment, Utexture does that in seconds.
4: So, if my daughter decides to fleece me and decides to stay in, in Melbourne, but asks me to build her a house, I can do it with you, Texture, here, even in Belfast. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's exactly, it's that's a really good example. So, there you are. You know, we, we're all a bit restricted on how we travel uh, at the moment. And um, yeah, so absolutely, you could be uh, conversing with a builder on the other side of the world, looking at their buildings and their plans, making changes, getting an agreement on price. And you can do that from anywhere, at any time. And um, so, yeah, it's one of the one of the incredible benefits of this is that you can, in a digital world, virtually see the building and, and try it and 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 make the decisions and try different options. Yeah, that's that's really at the end of the day what we want. And just like it's like the uh, the the aircraft industry, we've been we've been able to give people you know, complete transparency and options on the type of flight, the carrier they want to go with, the seat they want to be in. The movie they want to watch, the meal they want to eat. Um, those things didn't exist five years ago, so we're doing the same with housing. Um, I, I should just mention that we are um, one of the founding partners in a cooperative research centre, which is the first construction high science program promoted and administered by the Australian government. It's a, the program has been running for a decade, but it's usually occupied by the high sciences, so medical and space and, and the like. We're actually the first construction consortium that has been granted uh, their research grants by the Australian Department of Science and Industry. And I should just talk a little bit more about carbon, given your interest in eco. Um, it's a real focus for us. Um, we, If you look at house building within the context of the Paris Agreement, The Paris Agreement, as I'm sure your listeners well know, requires um, a cap, aims at a cap of one and a half degrees above the pre-industrial global temperatures. And when you boil that down, um, whilst it varies in different places around the world, when you boil that down to home building, that means to achieve that, we need to reduce the amount of carbon in house building by five times and bigger buildings by you know something similar to that. And so this is a this is a monumental challenge of our of a generation essentially. So you know that's just not going to happen by using less energy in the house and turning lights off. Um, and it's not going to happen by buying green energy. It it has to happen by changing the way we manufacture and use materials in a house. It has to happen by the embedded carbon in the home itself. And so, yeah, one of the things we're really, really focused on in our digital twin technology is giving manufacturers the ability to pass through the LCA, so the, the, the carbon attributes of their products into the digital model and for that to be simulated within the digital model. So in aggregate, you can see the impact of the carbon footprint of the home. Now we think you've got this pincer movement where there's this. Tidal wave of consumer um, expectation and demand to actually do the right thing and protect the the the, our precious world, and you've got regulators moving to regulate the environment, and you've got an industry that's flat-footed. And so this is this is a really good example of the power of digital twin technology. Yeah, just looking at the the space of of carbon, embedded carbon, and and energy consumption
4: and you you think you texture helps that cause, so to speak.
2: Yeah, so with new texture, we we will have uh, we're actually about to beta test the the energy, the thermal comfort simulator. And then by next year two thousand and twenty two you'll be able to simulate your energy and thermal comfort. You'll be able to simulate the cost of running that home, and you'll be able to simulate the um the embedded carbon footprint. And certainly in Australia, and uh, we expect in other jurisdictions around the world, you'll be able to uh, get your own accreditation um, for uh, energy consumption of the house. So all that, again, happens in the design environment, which it currently doesn't.
3: So, Pete, some really interesting stuff from Gavin. You know what, Steve? I love hearing uh, these guests. I love hearing all these advancements. They all have their own unique facets that that allow us as construction people advance in so many different directions so that was so interesting and and it really just shows you that there is just so many elements out there in construction and you just have to keep on learning and learning knowledge is the key here it's just it's just such an amazing thing that was a fantastic guest absolutely brilliant Indeed. And, uh,
1: you know, obviously we're going to talk a lot more about technology and the whole urban renewal thing, and all of that will be a recurring theme just because it's so important to the construction industry right now and
3: and to wider society as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Really, really interesting stuff. We say it all the time. The world is changing and construction is changing with it. And you know, some of it has to be done to keep up with where we are with, with, with you know, sustainability and climate change. Some of it has to be done to keep up with the pace of construction. And again, it's all about trying to do this in a way that is environmentally friendly and obviously is affordable for people in general. So I say it quite often, but I really mean it. What an exciting time in construction we're having at the moment. So many advances and so many things for me and you to talk about, Steve. I love it. Absolutely. Talk to you next time, Pete. Cheers, mate. Talk soon. And that's all for this episode
1: of Constructive Voices. Thank you to our guest, Gavin Tonne, and thank you to you for listening. Also, thanks, as always, for all the social media interaction, the shares that we get, the ratings and rankings and comments. It's brilliant. Thank you for that. Please keep them coming. Don't forget you can get these episodes automatically using your favourite podcast app. Just hit subscribe or follow. And don't forget to visit our website as well, constructive-voices.com. Don't forget the dash. We'll be back in a couple of weeks' time. Until then, thanks for listening. You're really helping us build something.